Senior Pastor Mark Ramsey often says that people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what actually is achieved in five years. Isn't that true? You know, people are like, I'm going to change the, the world in a year, you know, and we get overzealous and we overstate things in the short term and we often lose our steam and we lose our enthusiasm and so we undervalue five years, ten years, and that's where the change actually happens. Isn't that true? And so here we are five years on and I was thinking back to what it was like five years ago and um, as the video said, you know, City Point Redcliffe came um, here to this location in February in 2013 from the amazing Simon and Sandy Oswald and Megan and Igor have been a part of the church right from, well, ages ago. Um, but originally it was a COC church, Christian Outreach Center, founded many, many, many years before Simon and Sandy. And, um, and so when it became a city point, that was what we're celebrating today, five years ago. And I was thinking about this, this moment five years ago, because Sam and I came in September, so we're almost five years. I'm just getting in on the party early. But here we were, you know, God invited us to be a part of this story here. And I was thinking about what it was like for me to come and, and find myself among you guys, a new family. I was pregnant with our first fourth child. And, you know, why not? Because that's how God does things, right? Why not have a baby, move your whole life and start a church? Like, you know, that's, that's what, how God does things. Anyone notice that? All right. He doesn't do things small. He doesn't ease you into anything. I'm sorry. Okay. That might be news for someone. It's sink or swim when it comes to God. And um, usually it just is torrential rain when he decides to do something. And so this is what it was. And, And I remember walking into this facility And for the first four or five weeks, every time I walked through those glass doors, I wept. I just cried because I was so overwhelmed at what I got, what we get to walk into. I was so aware that so many pastors set up and packed down school halls their whole ministry life. And you and I get to walk into this. And so about four or five weeks, I couldn't hold back the tears every time I walked into this building, every time I drove onto the property. I was so overwhelmed. My heart was gripped by this facility that, you know, in 1983, when I was only one year old, (laughs) a group of people got together and pooled their personal finances to buy a block of land on a dirt road among bush because they had a vision of you. They saw you. They imagined something out of a dirt road and a bush. And they gave everything towards that. I was overwhelmed by that five years ago. And overwhelmed to the point of tears. And then I was overwhelmed at the spiritual heritage of this place. Because in 1975, before even Sam, and he's old, before either of us were born... In 1975, the first COC service was held here. You know, COC Redcliffe started in 1975. And, you know, many of you may not know that out of this place, there was a prophetic movement that was born here. Many of the famous prophets that travel the world were actually trained 
right here. What you're sitting in the midst of. The spiritual heritage gripped my heart. Vic and Kerry were a part of the school of the prophets back then. And just the faith that they, that they were a part of and what they perpetuated into the world. Not just our humble little, you know, happy, clappy Christian club. It has influenced the whole world. And so the spiritual heritage gripped my heart. And the task ahead of me gripped my heart. Because I thought, you know, if so many spiritual giants have gone before and made a way, what is going to be said of us? And what's ahead of us? And what is the impossible that we can make possible in Jesus that's still ahead of us? What does God still want to do in this region? What does God still want to do through this place? And, and there were many times when God gripped my heart and called me out of my bed in the early hours of the morning when it's still dark and, and would speak to me, would woo me out of my bedroom and into the living room. And there were many, many mornings on the dark slate tiles of my living room where I wept, probably because I felt terribly underqualified to lead anybody, but also because of the magnitude of what I believe is on this house, what I believe is on all of us. And he started to speak to me, and there were many times that he would just download information to me. And, you know, in leadership and in being a part of team, I've learnt probably the hard way that it's better to understate and overperform than it is to overstate and underperform. I've seen a lot of leaders promise a lot of things and then eventually the Proverbs 13, 12 plays out, hope deferred makes the heart sick where a congregation of people don't see a vision come to pass that was promised to them. So as God was downloading to me pictures and prophetic things, I decided to just nurse them quietly in my own spirit and to watch you become what God promised me you would become. And so today, I want to share with you a prophetic blueprint that God gave me five years ago. Because I believe that this isn't something that we just go tick, 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 tick. This is something that we continue to be. But I want to tell you, God was specific. He said, year one, it'll be like this. Year two, it'll be like this. Year three, it'll be like this. Year four, it'll be like that. And he has laid out a blueprint that I want to share with you today. And I believe just in wisdom, not sharing it with you five years ago, but sharing it with you today as a celebration of where he's brought us and where he's going to continue to take us. And so I believe this, the key to achieving great success is actually in having a simplicity of purpose. And so over five years, God has reminded me, you don't have to fight every battle today. It's just one battle at a time. And so God outlaid for me one thing at a time and Sam and I cultivated this in our spirits and we weren't distracted by every other thing because God had given us a plan. And so I want to tell you, although we say I'm faking it, kind of part of that is true, but the truth also is that God has been good in speaking prophetically to us and showing us where he's taking us. And so I want to say that you don't climb a mountain in one step It's a series of small steps. And in fact, if you look at a mountain, you're probably going to be discouraged from even taking the first step. But if you just take one step at a time, guess what? You're going to get to the summit. And all you need to do is take the next step. So I want to speak into your life. Whatever you're facing, all you need to do is take the next step. And keep stepping. Keep stepping because eventually you'll get to the summit.
And so as much as this is a corporate vision for us as a church and God's chosen expression in this region, it's also a personal calling to each and every one of us in our individual lives. As individual followers of Jesus, we make this up. In collectively, we make up this vision. And so all those years ago, I sat on the slate floor of my living room and God took me to Exodus, uh, not Exodus, Ezekiel. He took me to Ezekiel, five chapters in Ezekiel that I quickly want to share with you this morning. And, um, and the first one is Ezekiel 33. And this is a prophetic word for us today. It's a word that we've already been walking out and you didn't even know. And it's a word that we're going to continue to walk out into the future. And so in Ezekiel 33, God says to this man of God, I'm calling you back to the role of the watchman. And that you and I are called to be a watchman. He said to me, Carolina, you are a watchman in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. And every single person that comes into City Point, I'm calling them to be a watchman. And he speaks to Ezekiel and he says, I'm renewing your call as a watchman. Warn both the righteous and the unrighteous. This is a call back to truthful conversation. This is a call back to sitting down with people and looking them in the eye and saying, sweetheart, you are way better than the way you're living right now. I see something in you. I see something ahead of you. Would you rise up? And because as a watchman, what we do is we stand in an elevated place and we see something and we take that message back to the people. And he's saying to Ezekiel, if you don't take the message back, you'll be held accountable for when they go wrong. I'll hold you accountable because you didn't give them the message I gave you to give them. And this was a call back. And this was God saying, this is a time to set culture, kingdom culture in people's lives. You are a watchman. You are called to care. And on a practical level, we live in a generation that says, you know what, it's not my responsibility. It is your responsibility. It reminded me of Cain and Abel where he goes, well, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. You do take responsibility for the well-being of your brother. In fact, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. We need to shift culture that says it's not my responsibility and palm it off and be a generation who cares. A generation who sees and speaks the conversation of truth in love that loves people and knows the goodness of God for people's lives. The goodness of God. He's calling us to care. He's calling us to speak the truth in love. He's calling us to be vigilant. He's calling us to be engaged with the world around us. He's calling us back to the role of the watchman. And we've seen it. I've seen it in five years. I've seen these conversations take place. I've seen a watchman call out to a person and say, I've seen something for you. And that person rise up into that calling. And we're going to continue to see it as we live in this role of the watchman. And then he took me on to the next chapter in Ezekiel 34. And he said to me, you are a shepherd. You are a shepherd. And he said, you will strengthen the weak. You will heal the sick. You will bind up the injured. You will, how beautiful is this? You will bind up... uh, Bring back the strays. 
you will search for the lost. And it's this call of a shepherd, a shepherd with a flock of sheep that's responsible for the well-being of his sheep. Who is your flock? Who is God calling you to? Because in Ezekiel 34, he goes on and he says, the shepherd will be held responsible for the state of his flock. And there are shepherds that eat and drink and party and their flock perishes and their flock is being devoured and their flock is sick and they're busy looking after themselves and I will hold them accountable. But he was saying to me, you are a shepherd that will bind up the broken. You will bring back the strays. You will look for the lost. You will heal the hurting. You will welcome them back in and nurse them to health and see them flourish and see them multiply and be fruitful. He's calling us to the role of the shepherd, a shepherd who cares. It's powerful. You know what grips my heart when I wake up every Sunday morning? This one thing. The thought that heaven has moved everything it possibly can for six days to get someone here. And I just have this picture every Sunday morning when my eyes open And I'm filled with this holy fear that all of heaven is waiting and they're looking at City Point Redcliffe going, I moved everything possible to get that person through the doors. Are they going to see them? Are they going to welcome them? Are they going to open their arms and shout them a coffee and hand them a tissue and sit down with them during the week? Are they going to see it or are they going to miss the assignment? Are they going to be a shepherd that eats and drinks on their own? Or are they going to be a shepherd that welcomes the broken, welcomes the lost and sees it happening? And maybe you're that person and heaven has moved everything to get you here this morning. I want to tell you my heart breaks for you and I'm so glad that you're here. And if you're not welcomed this morning, I want you to come and tell me so I can slap every other person in the room. Because that's why we exist is to shepherd you. And do you know what? Once you're welcomed in, you become a shepherd. You become a shepherd for others. And he was calling us back to the shepherd, the role of the shepherd. And we've seen it over and over and over again. And it has been so beautiful. And actually one of the testimonies I hear more than anything else is just how warm and welcoming and loving this place is. And that, that is what makes me happy at the end of a Sunday. That is what gets me up out of bed on a Monday. That is what keeps me training our leaders and volunteers, is that one testimony. I came and someone saw me. That's it. That's it for me. And, you know, it's a sense of purpose in, in serving because if we serve out of a sense of self, then any excuse will take us off roster and off team. If we serve out of a sense of self, any excuse will take us off roster and out of team. But when we understand we're serving people and their eternity, then there is no price too great and there is no sacrifice too high. There is no obstacle we won't jump over and no mountain we won't climb when we understand I'm not called to a position I'm not called to a place, I'm called to a person, I'm called to people, then there's no price too great to pay.
That's why 35, 40 years ago, people were willing to pay any price for you and me. When we understand it's about people, then we jump at the opportunity. We pay the price. We lay our lives down. And we've seen it over and over again. The third thing that God showed me was at the next chapter in Ezekiel 35. And he's called us to be the council. The council. Where there are kings in the community out there who would have in the past turned a back to the church and would try to move ahead in their own work without the help of the church. Opposing mindsets I called them opposing kings. God said to me, opposing kings will fall. Not fall to detriment, which is kind of what the chapter says, but God spoke to me for us here that opposing kings will turn around and come back to us. He spoke to me about politics. He spoke to me about government agencies coming back and asking to work in collaboration with us. And we've seen it happen. We have seen it happen. We haven't even had to knock on doors. They have literally come to us. Sam gets phone calls all the time from community agencies who are saying, hey, we've just noticed who you are and what you're doing. Can we work together? The reason that we saw 250 hampers just out of this location and 350 in the broader community on the north side is because government agencies came to us and said, we know desolate families. We know desperate situations. Will you work with us this Christmas? Yes, you can put all your flyers in it. Yes, you can put your logo all over it. We don't care. We just want to work with you. We've seen it happen, and God promised me that he would do it. And so he's called us to be the council. Where once kings in the community turned their back on us as the church, they're now coming to us for counsel, for collaboration. I want to talk to you in your situation at work. Are people coming to you as the council? Because when you live in such a way that your life shines the kingdom of heaven, You don't have to Bible bash anybody. They will come to you. They'll know who to ask when they have that challenge. They'll know where to go to for resource. They'll know who to collaborate with. They will come to you. We are the church. We are the church, and we've seen it over and over again. You won't even have to defend yourself or plead a case. He will work on your behalf. It says in Ezekiel 35, I will cause opposing kings to fall before you. And that's exactly what we've seen. And so I'm going to see more of it in the future. I'm going to see more of it as we become that imprint into this community, into your workplace, into your family. Kings will come to to us for counsel and collaboration. The fourth one, and my most favorite one out of the five, is he promises in Ezekiel 36 that we will be a dwelling place. He will be a dwelling place. And he calls it Hope for the Mountains, which is the title of my message this morning. Hope for the Mountains. He says, people will come home. A barren land will be plowed again and sown. You will have fruitful orchards. Many people will live on you. Isn't that awesome? That picture of many people living on us. Desolate towns will be inhabited. Ruined cities will be rebuilt. 
numbers of inhabitants and animals will increase. I will settle people on you as before. People will come home and the nations around you will know that I have done this. We're called to be a safe place for the people around us. We're called to be a place where people come for a future. Where there's no hope, they come here because they have a future out of this place for themselves, for their children, for their grandchildren. And the number of inhabitants will increase as more and more people come and live on us. And they find nutrition here. They're fed here. They're grown here. They're developed here. They find their potential and they flourish here. That we're called to be hope for the mountains and that people will come home that our words would bring healing and nourishment to people, that we would be a place of refuge where we stretch out who we are and people come and rest in our shade and they flourish in our shade and they're fed in what we have, that we draw potential out of people and direct them into their God-given future. You know what? We're seeing this right now. This is what we're seeing right now. You know, when we started an 8.30 service, we expected that it would affect our 10.15 and our 5 p.m. And it hasn't affected those two services at all. So let's just open another service and just fill it. Like, where were they all the week before we opened that service? But this is what we're seeing. This is the fulfillment of the prophetic declaration over us, is more and more and more people will come and live on us more and more people will come and receive Jesus. And it just amazes me in the 8.30 service that I give a salvation invitation and hands go up. More and more and more people will come and live on us. More and more people will find hope, hope for the mountains, for themselves, for their children, for their grandchildren. This is what we're called to be. And we're seeing it now and we'll keep seeing it. Number five, we're called to be a breath of life. Ezekiel 37 is the famous passage where he's standing in front of a valley of dry bones and the Spirit of the Lord says to him, verse 3 to 4, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh Lord, you know. That's a good answer, right? When you don't know, just, you know. But God pulls it on him and says, no, you prophesy. You prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so it was at Ezekiel's word that this valley of dry bones before him started to get tendons and sinew and muscles and and skin and it started to rise up and said this, this amazing sound like a clanging and clattering of bones coming together and and the valley of dry bones comes to life and he says it's like a vast army in front of him. And then in verse 7, the Spirit of the Lord says, Now, Son of Man, prophesy to the four corners of the wind that they would come and that the breath of God would breathe into these bodies. And so it was at Ezekiel's word that the life came back and the Spirit of God filled that great army. And the Spirit of God said to me, Carolina, all those things that are still lying there as lifeless reminders of once what once was, 
are going to come back to life and be more alive than they were before. We're not trying to replicate what once was. And my deepest prayer is that what happens here is even more beautiful than anything anyone has ever seen before. That it is more beautiful than anything anyone has ever walked in before. That what will be said of our generation is that we came back to life and the Spirit of God was breathed in us and we were a great, vast army. And that's what God's calling us to be, a breath of life. Corporately, can these bones live? I believe they can. Individually, can these dry bones live? What are you speaking over the bones of your marriage? What are you speaking over the bones of your health? What are you speaking over the bones of your family, your workplace, your community? Can these bones live? I'm sorry, can these bones live? Because it's at your word, son of man. It is at your word that the prophetic truth will come to pass. How are we speaking? How are we walking? And are we bringing the breath of life? And I believe we can be a church that calls to the four corners of our city and sees the Spirit of God come and breathe life. I believe that by that, your workplace can experience the Holy Spirit in a powerful way and be changed. And finally, and most importantly, the why behind all of it is to make him known. Because repeatedly in these chapters, God says, and because of this, the nations will know that I am God. And because of this, the nations will know that the God of Israel lives. And because of this, the nations will know that I did this. The whole reason is to make Jesus famous. It's to make Jesus famous. That's the reason any of this happens. It's all about Jesus and making him known. There is no greater call in all of creation and in all of life than to make Jesus famous. Everything exists to make Jesus famous. Can I call us as City Point Redcliffe to live wholly and solely for Jesus' fame. Can I call us to that standard today? You may work a corporate job. Will you live to make Jesus famous? Every other call we can live for, can it take a back seat to the call of making Jesus famous? Can every other purpose take a back seat to the call of making Jesus famous. Because it's by this that they will know God lives. And the reason that we celebrate like the achievements that we celebrated on the video is because someone met Jesus. Is because someone encountered the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. And we can eat cake and, and and, and have balloons and, and watch videos and pat each other on the back. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's about making Jesus famous. Yeah, it's about him being yeah. known in your workplace, in your family. And can we be bold and unashamed about that church? Can we rise up in the next five years and be unashamed yeah. about making Jesus famous? Yeah. We need to do that in this day and in this culture. 
There's a whole bunch of other things being promoted and edified in our culture. Can we be the ones that make Jesus famous? And when we do that, the Spirit of God says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We can try a whole bunch of different strategies, but at the end of the day, the only strategy that works is making Jesus famous. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Maybe you're here for the first time. Perhaps you're back again. And this morning, if I was to ask you about the spiritual condition of your life, you would say, honestly, Carolina, it's not where it should be. I'm away from Jesus. And this morning, I want to offer you an invitation to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it may be the first time this morning, or it may be again, and that's okay. I want to offer you an invitation to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. In a few moments, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you want to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life this morning, I'd love for you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. Raising your hand is just an indication between me, you, and God that you're making this decision today. And I sat in a service much like this one. Someone offered me this invitation. And responding to this invitation was the best decision I have ever made. And so on the count of three, if that's you, you want to receive Jesus this morning, I'd love for you to raise your hand. One, he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He thinks you're amazing. Two, he is inviting you to come back to him. He longs to be in relationship with you. And three, if that's you, would you raise your hand so I can see it? Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Is there anyone else here this morning? Thank you, I see your hand. Awesome. You can put your hand down. I'm just going to take one more moment. You haven't raised your hand now, but maybe your heart's beating. This is for you. You want to receive Jesus? Just give me a wave.